Welcome to This Week in the Warner Archive Collection, where we discuss our newest releases. I'm George Feltenstein, and I'm proud to be joined by my colleagues, Matt Patterson and D.W. Ferranti. Nearly 20 new releases and new additions to the Warner Archive Collection highlight this week's Warner Archive podcast. First and foremost, we have something new to blue. In fact, we have two new to blue, and these movies couldn't be more different. And yet more similar. (laughs) And yet more requested than most others. We have America's sweetheart, Miss Doris Day, about to celebrate her 97th birthday, starring in Frank Tashlin's wild comedy, The Glass Bottom Boat, from 1966, making its debut on Blu-ray. And then we go from MGM and Culver City to the hallowed studios of Warner Brothers here in Burbank as Tamara Dobson stars as Cleopatra Jones from 1973. This is one of the great early 70s action films that has a tongue planted firmly in its cheek. And it co-stars the great double Oscar winner Shelley Winters. Next, We have new to DVD television programming, and this is the fifth and final series of The Wayans Brothers from 1998 and 99. Then... We have films that are new to DVD from the hallowed studios of Radio Keith Orpheum, better known as RKO. We have Bo Bandit from 1930, Rockabye from 1932, Headline Shooter from 1933, Our Betas from 1933, In Person, starring the great Ginger Rogers from 1935, and 1937's Super Sleuth. But wait, there's more. We also have new-to-DVD early talkies from 1929 and 30, including Mary Pickford's Oscar-winning turn in Coquette from 1929, Wise Girls from 1929, The Silent Mysterious Island with Lionel Barrymore from 1929 with certain sound sequences, and The Lady of Scandal from 1930, Spring is Here from 1930, Way Out West, not starring Laurel and Hardy, but the title was used by William Haynes in 1930 at MGM and Men of the North from 1930 directed by Hal Roach who decided he wanted to direct a movie for MGM and not for his own studio. Then we're bringing back in print on Blu-ray one of the great motion pictures in the history of our studio. The movie that changed the industry forever in bringing sound to motion pictures to stay. The first feature film with synchronized dialogue and singing sequences. Al Jolson stars in The Jazz Singer 1927, and this is the Blu-ray that comes with two extra DVDs filled with documentary on the dawn of sound and lots of Vitaphone shorts. Then we have TV back in print Nightmare Room, careful what you wish for, from 2001, as well as Nightmare Room, Camp Nowhere from 2002. And then we're going to be talking about a little bit of uh, the Blarney, since it is March in the month of St. Patrick's Day, and we're going to be talking about a guy who did a little bit of work at this studio by the name of Cagney. Let's get the discussion going with the Glass Bottom Boat. All aboard, Doris Day fans. And Rod Taylor fans. Of course. Our uh, Rod Taylor, who we've talked about, many times on this podcast because we're all big fans of him and his work. But it's always sort of, we still, like most people, think of Rod as the action guy. But then, of course, his career was very versatile, and he did light comedy and romance and musicals. And his part in this film, it's a little bit of both, because it's it's a romantic comedy that's also a spy spoof, but it's Tashlin. So it's perfect. Yes. Perfectly cast for that exact reason that you say. But I feel 
if Elon Musk had a you know carried a little jauntier step, that that would be who he would be playing today. Director Frank Tashlin has been the subject of discussion more than once on the Warner Archive podcast. One of his films from the 1950s that we're very fond of, we remastered for DVD and then a few years later brought to Blue to great success. Susan slept here, and uh, Tashlin really cut his chops as an animator here at the Warner Brothers Studios. Not once, but twice, because he made cartoons in the 30s and then came back to do more in the 40s and moved on to make some very, very interesting live-action films, some of which are among the best comedies ever made. And The Glass Bottom Boat really is prime Tashlin. The push-button kitchen sequence, I mean, it is a cartoon. I mean, it's live action. It is a well-timed, well-choreographed, incredibly funny, incredibly inventive live action cartoon. The design and the colors, the costumes, just the mise-en-scene alone makes this Blu-ray a worthwhile purchase. That's a good point because that's why this film is on Blu-ray because Miss Day's filmography is huge, especially in our library. And uh, we really wanted to bring this film to Blu-ray. We had the pleasure of bringing some of Doris Day's musicals to Blu-ray in the past, Love Me or Leave Me and Billy. Rose's Jumbo, but she really hit her stride in the late 50s and throughout the 1960s with romantic comedies that were just a little bit more arch and clever. Some were very successful. A few weren't so successful, but one of the biggest successes was The Glass Bottom Boat. Her chemistry with Rod Taylor is super. They're a great pair. Just like she really hit it off with James Garner and, of course, Rock Hudson. But with uh, Rod Taylor, I think it's just sublime the two of them together and you've also got an incredible supporting cast including a guy you usually don't see in movies and who's I'm sure pretty much forgotten today unless you watch coffee commercials in the 1970s as a juvenile but uh, Arthur Godfrey who was a huge star of both radio and early television has a very large part as Doris's father in this movie and then you have the supporting actors including Dom DeLuise Paul Lynn and Dick Martin and Paul Lind is in ladies' clothing in this movie. That's true. (laughs) Which is something that speaks for itself, basically. Speaking of cartoons, as an extra on the Blu-ray, there's one of the greatest cartoons ever made in high High definition. definition. Which is, of course, the classic... The Dot and the Line. And the reason for that is that it won Best Animated Short Subject in 1966, the same year you would have seen The Glass Bottom Boat in movie theaters. And The Dot and the Line was made by the great Chuck Jones, based on the story by Norton Juster, who also wrote The Phantom Tollbooth. So those guys would work together again. And they made this unique one-shot cartoon that was kind of a Chuck Jones specialty, and it ended up winning an Oscar. So we have it on this disc in glorious high definition, and it's a little extra fun to behold. There's also some featurettes on there that promote the glass bottom boat, including the wonderful Maid of Cotton that calls out <laughs> the costumery in the film. But yeah. it's a dandy disc, and we're sure you're going to enjoy the glass bottom boat on Blu-ray. It's hard to imagine that these films were only made seven years apart, but movies went through radical changes very quickly. And Cleopatra Jones was one of the biggest box office hits of its time, starring the beautiful 
Tamara Dobson, a very tall lady. But, you know, Glass Bottle Boat is a bit of a tongue-in-cheek spoof of the spy genre, and Cleopatra Jones, although full of thrills, is a bit of a tongue-in-cheek spoof of the 70s uh, successor to the spy genre. But, but also just fits right in because, you know, even when you think of, like, Dolomite movies or something, uh-huh. like, they're, they're just larger than life. And not only do we have a wonderful performance by Ms. Dobson, but we have probably one of my favorite supervillains of but all Shelley time. Winter's mommy is fantastic. Because <laughs> she's really just channeling Ma Barker. Right, again. Yeah. From <laughs> Batman. Yeah. You know, but, it's like, you but know. like times ten. I know. Was like, well, could, she was allowed take, to cut loose. Yeah, yeah. Could you take that but turn it up? What I forgot about this movie in rewatching it was how insane her... Part and it's it's a revenge film, only it's not like a vigilante revenge film. It's the villain's revenge on the hero. Yes. Cleopatra Jones Shh. burns down the poppy field, and mommy's going to get her vengeance, and that's the plot. It's a gr- mm. There's a great opening where you see Cleopatra Jones strutting away from a field and bombs going off because she just decided... To blow up a poppy field. Now, not unlike the glass bottom boat, this new Blu-ray presentation of Cleopatra Jones looks sensational. And it was clear that Warner Brothers was getting behind this movie in a very big way and providing a very strong budget for the movie so that the quote-unquote blaxploitation film was no longer relegated to low-budgets, grainy film stock and 16-millimeter cameras. This is a high-budget budget, first class A feature film from the studio, and it performed very well at the box office. And as you say that, that again, this is thanks to the Blu-ray, well, at least in my head, and, you know, the way that these movies have been presented to audiences, it's always sort of cliched to see them with a bad print. Like You're used to seeing them faded magenta and looking awful. And this looks amazing. This, this almost looks like there's a play being acted in front of me. It is so crisp that in the 70s fashion so comes off the screen and the just all the details of it is so surprising. It is unlike you've ever seen or even imagine. It's, it's hard to describe. Someone who I showed the disc to who is very critical of how Blu-rays are supposed to look uh-huh. thought it was one of the best-looking Blu-rays he had ever seen, <laughs> and, especially from the 70s. You know, I was just surprised. But most importantly, it is entertainment, and you will oh, not yeah. be disappointed no. with Cleopatra Jones. Now we move to the 1990s and the ultimate finale to this sitcom that really brought a great deal of joy for five seasons to so many audiences and continues today, almost 20 years later, to be rerun on television constantly. This is the Wayans Brothers and season five, and this wraps everything up from that wonderful series in a bow and shows you just how talented those gentlemen really are. Marlon gets a TV show, and Sean has to wait for his business to get rebuilt after that cliffhanger fire. So roles are reversed, and that's the launch pad for this season's of the comedy and as usual with this show there's some uh, very interesting guest stars like who Dan? well Paula Abdul plays a what? romantic interest but she really just wants one of them to be a father Kim Wyans guest stars and uh for you fans of uh, music, uh, Missy Elliott. Five seasons is, is a solid amount for a sitcom, and Warner Brothers really has 
a wonderful uh, stable of sitcoms from this time that we've been, it's been really uh, amazing to release these. I believe this was a Stage 9 sitcom. Oh, Stage 9. Ooh, oh, yes. Well, could we be have wrong. it in our library, yeah. nonetheless. And you can now add it to yours and complete your series. Yes. So look forward to picking that up today. Now we're going to go way back in time to the early 1930s and the corner of Gower Street and Melrose Avenue, where the RKO Radio Studios held court for nearly 30 years before their ultimate demise in the late 50s. And uh, RKO was a really uh, interesting studio because they had a lot of ups and downs through their lifespan. But what they left is a legacy of cinema that is really, really impressive. The first of the films that we're releasing is really the most impressive Rod LaRocque movie I've ever seen, Bo Bandit from 1930. Did you enjoy this one? You know... If you thought Yo Jimbo should be like a light comedy romance, this is the film for you. Yo Jimbo, that's, uh, that's good. So uh, Rod LaRock plays Montero, who's an infamous bandit, and he is a great sidekick. He has this lumbering death mute named Colasso that he's always yelling at, and of course Colasso can't say anything back. No. And the actor whose work I don't really know uh, by the name of Mitchell Lewis is wonderful as Colasso. And really, the, just the interplay with the two of them is great. But then the plot it's, of the movie it's is... It's classic comedy, uh, the, like... As, yeah, a, as a duo. Uh, Montero best basically gets involved in a romantic triangle in which one apex of the triangle is trying to have the other bumped off so he can get the school teacher. And uh, aside from sort of falling for the school teacher himself, Montero just plays an escalating game of selling himself to the higher bidder back and forth to try to make sure true love comes out in the end. And considering how early in the talky period this was is right at the beginning. It's a fairly cinematic uh, yeah. enterprise. No, it I got it. Like, Le- well. Lambert Hillier, who we've talked before, who was a real journeyman director, there's some really, really early on surprisingly fluid, surprisingly good camera work in there. Because th- this doesn't feel like a play like no. a lot of yeah, earlier talkies yeah. do. And this is not uh, the beginning of a cliche, so it's surprising. Yeah. That's that's what's fun about it. One of the biggest stars at RKO in those early years, and it was often known as RKO Pathé, for a very complex set of reasons. The probably biggest leading lady of those early years was Constance Bennett. And Constance Bennett stars in the 1932 release Rockabye, which is a very interesting film because it had a very troubled production. It's sort of, even though it's it's 32, it feels like the subject matter of this caused some nervousness. Very pre-Cody. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of divorce. And babies. And babies, and it's unclear who the the baby's parent really is, but there's a lot of tragedy, and anyway, in short form, Constance Bennett is a Broadway diva, and she is forced to give up the baby she was planning on adopting. It's probably hers. But it's probably hers, and that wasn't unheard of at the time, due to a scandal involving a very young Walter Pigeon. And so she goes to Europe, and while she's in Europe, she discovers this play that she falls in love with because its subject matter mirrors her own recent experiences. And, and different than the roles she normally does. Hence the title, Rockabye. But this is one you're going to want to own. Our next film is from 1933, and it's called Headline Shooter for a very specific reason. This film is about news guys, some of them drunk, some of them daring, 
and also features my favorite part is incredible footage from the Long Beach 1933 earthquake. Yeah, I'm watching the film and I was like, well, how did they afford to do this? And I realized, oh no, that's real. <laughs> it is It is super real. But who gets this footage, Dan? And, and the film gets into the uh, fake news before people use the term fake news. Yeah. Uh, the staging of news, the shooting of news. There's a, a love triangle uh, and then into this love triangle we get the ultimate third party of a love triangle in all of motion picture cinema history in America and that's, of course, the wonderful Ralph Bellamy, <laughs> who plays a banker who has to team up with a newspaper shooter to rescue the girl. And it's actually great because these guys are both romantic rivals, but they just put it aside to help. And think about it. It's Ralph Bellamy 50 years before Trading Places. Right. Uh, so. Our next film is Our Betters from 1933. And this is a classic play that continues to be revived again and again on stages all around the world. But once again, we have Constance Bennett as the leading lady and this is a true classic that should have been on DVD a long time ago but now it finally is yeah so it's Cooker adapting Somerset Mom it's very momish in that <laughs> it is a devastating satire of manners and mores Constance Bennett thinks she's marrying for love but it turns out the English aristocrat is just marrying her for her money and he's going to continue oh. to have affairs so she responds by doing tit for tat but then her younger sister starts to fall into the moral turgidness she oh, lives in. The I rich had, people. I had seen this movie on television when I was a kid, but I didn't catch the beginning of it and never knew the name of it. <laughs> and then when I was in college, my friends were all in the acting department, uh -huh. and uh, they were doing this play, and I was like, oh, my God, this is the movie from <laughs> Channel 9. Now I, I know, know why she's now, like that. Right, <laughs> exactly. But this is, uh, it's, it's a delight to be able to bring the film to DVD at last, as it is for the next film, which has been highly requested because it stars one of RKO's luminaries from the 1930s. And again, she's not dancing with Fred Astaire to hold her own as Ginger Rogers stars in In Person, a showbiz saga that is really quite sensational to watch. Ginger Rogers is such a great actress outside of any singing and dancing, one of my favorite comedians. And so for me, when she makes her first appearance on screen in this film in disguise as the ugly girl, it had me on the floor laughing. So once again, Ginger Rogers is parroting movie stars. Yes. And in this one, she plays a movie star who had a traumatic encounter with her fans and is mobbed a la Beatlemania. And so she is taken to dressing up as a very ugly person in order to get over her her fear of crowds. But her therapist says, you know, it's time for her to make the next step. So she makes the next step, and this is where she runs into uh, Emery Muir, who's played by George Brent, and then she sort of falls for him, uh, but much to her consternation, he has no idea who she is. The next and last of these RKO classics coming to DVD is Super Sleuth, and this is from 1937. Jack Oakey plays a, a movie star who lets, one. who lets being a film detective go to his head, and he decides she's going to solve some real-life crimes. But thankfully, Jack Oakey has studio publicist Mary Strand play by Ann Southern in his corner. Thank and, God. And thankfully for we, the viewers, We've got Edgar Kennedy as the police lieutenant who's constantly being frustrated by this act. Now, with a cast like that, you can't go wrong. I have to really like Jack Oakey, and I think I was thinking just the other day when I was watching this film and I hadn't seen it in a while, it's like nobody knows who Jack Oakey is. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. It's got kind of a bit of a Scooby-Doo setup. Yep, totally. And, and I'm not revealing anything. There's no mystery. There's, no, There's mystery. no mystery. Let's just put it this way. The boardwalk was a much more interesting 
missing place <laughs> in the uh, wax and magic exhibit. Uh, and just never trust somebody who has a uh, guillotine. So based on the talented cast, you know Super Sleuth is going to be made for you. The next group of films are early talkies that are making their DVD debut, and the first of them is an Oscar winner, Mary Pickford, in her talkie debut from 1929, we get Coquette. This film, like Mary Pickford's other films of the 1920s, was produced by Miss Pickford for a motion picture company that she partially owned, United Artists Corporation. Indeed, the United Artists were D.W. Griffith, Charlie Chaplin, Douglas Fairbanks, to whom Miss Pickford was married at the time, and Mary Pickford, because they didn't want to have to deal with studios, and they wanted to be able to make their own films. And Griffith dropped out pretty soon into the early days Days of UA and Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford got divorced and Doug Fairbanks was out of UA. But Chaplin and Pickford held on to their ownership until the early 50s and that's when Arthur Krim took over and United Artists started to become not just a distribution company but actually started to retain ownership of its films. This gave the artists the opportunity to make the films that they wanted and Miss Pickford did Coquette exactly the way she wanted and earned an Academy Award in the process. Now, how this came into our library is the fact that MGM bought the film with the intention of remaking it, mm. but they never did. So we have the real deal, the only deal. It's Miss Pickford in Coquette, and it is a tour de force performance indeed, and very much an early talkie. Yeah, and it's pretty risque too, and, and it's sort of, you can see this is much like Norma Shearer, this is Mary Pickford yeah. shedding her sweetheart persona. She no longer could be Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm. Yeah. And we should mention that the boyfriend in this yes. is uh, is Johnny Mac Brown. And was he Johnny or John? I think he's he was, John. He Mac. was John, but we he's always he'll Johnny. always be yeah. Nevada Jack McKenzie to us. So, <laughs> but Coquette has been highly requested, and this was from a restoration that was taken on by UCLA many many years ago, and uh, we're delighted to finally be able to bring it to DVD. From MGM in 1929, we bring you Wise Girls. Now, this isn't exactly a female version of live-action Top Cat. <laughs> this film comes from uh, the father and son comedy team of uh, J.C. Nugent and Elliot Nugent. Speaking of, like, nobody knows who you are anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but these two guys produce a number of hit comedy plays, have a, you know, a background going back to the early days of vaudeville and through. And uh, this is an actual, they're doing the film adaptation of their own hit comedy play, Kempy, uh, which is about a father who has three wise girls in various states of matrimonial distress, and the middle girl marries a self-made man out of a fit of pique to get back, and that's where the shenanigans ensue. But sort of the funny thing about it is, uh, unbeknownst to her, her boyfriend paid for uh, the middle girl's book to be published. Right. And Kempy, the plumber, is probably the only person who ever read this book, but he's fascinated by it, and it's a very sort of pre Anne Rand self-determination novel and affects the course of this comedy. As we were saying before, 1929, it's very fluid, but what I liked about it was it feels like I'm watching a classic stage show. Yeah. It's like a yeah. film's play, and that's okay because yeah. it really Cause it, is... Because it works because it has the original performance. It's it, a product of its it time. It has yeah. a little bit of like watching like you can't take it with you, you know? Right. Like, yeah. like and that, it's sort that of that a, feel. And, and the boyfriend who paid for the book is interesting because he's, he's the other dashing love interest, but it's Roland Young, who 
hardly ever played and that guy. And it's still entertaining 90 yeah. years yeah. after oh, yeah. it was oh, made. No. Oh, yeah. No. 90 I years. Would, I would stage this it, play in a second. And it, ha- and it, you know, now as domestic drama, it has a, a sitcom set up with, in the living room and stuff like that. But, yeah, you could definitely, as we were talking about things that you could stage for a high school or college, this would fit right in. Now, our next film has a very interesting place in film history. Based on the novel by Jules Verne, this is Mysterious Island from 1929. And this film was basically a silent movie that had some audio added to it after it was completed. One of the interesting things about it is it was shot at least partially, if not entirely, I'm not sure, but it was shot in the two-color Technicolor process, and uh, all that MGM was able to keep was a black-and-white version of the film. A little bit of color exists at UCLA, but most interestingly, we've heard that in Europe, uh-huh. one of the archives has an incomplete wow. color print. And a lot of people thought, oh, well, why aren't you releasing the color version? Well, the archive that has the print won't let it go. So until they're willing to discuss a way for us to access the material and preserve the film, we're kind of at a loss. And that's why this hasn't come out sooner, because we really did want to make it available. But since we can't access that material, it's available in black and white because there was no way to print two-color Technicolor films. The negatives were generally discarded because they were considered, you know, invaluable, not not valuable, and black and white preservation copies were made. This film should be better well-known to monster movie fans, but I think because it's like, you know, it's sort of halfway, like it's half silent and with some sound sequences, and as you were saying, like maybe in color, but not really. I never encountered this as a kid, Dan. Did you? Did you see this movie? Uh, I, I was familiar from uh, a few of the uh, old great coffee table horror and science yeah, fiction I'd coffee seen table. I'd seen stills, stills of the fish people, but I hadn't seen the film. Well, the fans are many in number, yes. and that's why we're making this available. This and is fantastic. A lot of them have, you know, said, "Well, why is the color not available?" Well, you know, are you finally going to release it in color? Well, if we didn't release it in black and white, we couldn't release it at and, all and you wouldn't be able to own it. And this is kind of what I was saying is that you you need to see this film if you are a fan of, oh, let's call them deep ones. Yeah, if you're a Lovecraft fan or a steampunk fan, yeah, this is the Victorian see. sci-fi for you. Oh my gosh, it's got... And it's got Lionel Barrymore. Yeah. You know. Underwater battles. This is the other submarine movie and Lionel Barrymore is fantastic He's in terrific. it as like an action hero and like there's mad science and battles. This is fascinating. The next movie skips all the way to 1930 and Whoa. it's called The Lady of Scandal. I have to say I have a particular affection for the movies in which Basil Rathbone Oh, yeah. Plays a charming nice guy. <laughs> yeah, they're few and far yeah. between. But he's really good at and it. And in real life, he was a charming nice yeah. guy. That was his frustration. But he's terrific in this film, as is everyone in the cast. So Ruth Chatterton plays a, an actress who's been turning down a, a member of the landed gentry played by Ralph Forbes, and he comes up with the goofy idea of he... If he just announces their engagement, then she'll have to marry him. So she's a little annoyed, but nonetheless, the family summons them to the country estate in order to break the couple up, and uh, Basil Rathbone plays the scandal-plagued head of the family cousin 
who uh, sympathizes with her, and they, they have an extended, Let, let's see if we can live with her for six months, and we can drive her crazy. And it all, of course, backfires. In a I love Ruth way. Chatterton movies, and uh, I think my favorite Ruth Chatterton movie is female, but that was, was Ruth Chatterton uh-huh. at Warner Brothers. This is Ruth Chatterton at MGM, so it takes a whole other different tack. But it's classy. Spe- speaking of Warner Brothers, our next film comes from Warner Brothers in 1930, and it's called Spring is Here. This film is wacky. And this film is very... <laughs> Very wacky and has a very interesting history because it's based on a musical play that had a great score by Richard Rogers and Lorenz Hart, which was virtually discarded in its entirety for this film. They didn't use any of the Rogers and Hart songs except for, I think, With a Song in My Heart. I think that's the only one that they kept. And they added new songs, which was not unusual at the time. Hollywood really didn't know what to do with Broadway shows, but particularly at this point, it was a real weirdness. And what made it even more weird was the fact that Richard Rogers and Lorenz Hart were here in Los Angeles ready to work. And uh, their score may have been bastardized, but the storytelling comes through, and it's a really great deal of fun. And it's got a pretty interesting cast. Uh, Inez Courtney is terrific as the younger sister who's great at bad advice. (laughs) And uh, uh, Luis Fazenda is also a supporting player in this. But the basic plot involves uh, two men uh, competing for the same young girl who's perhaps not worth either of their time. And just sadness ensues. And then happiness. And and lots of ukulele playing. Uh, And ukulele breaking. Yeah, ukulele star. Any movie that's got ukulele breaking is a movie for me. Our next movie (laughs) is Way Out West from 1930, starring the wonderful William Haynes. And we've released lots of William Haynes movies through the Warner Archive collection, but we had not yet released this. And William Haynes is not your average Western movie hero. No, there's a lot to unpack with this film. This is City Slickers, like, 1930s. There you go. Yeah, Uh, he plays a fast-talking carver barker who gets caught by the cowboys he's cheated and instead of letting them string him up the head of a ranch says why don't you make them work for us at the ranch he's played by of course the ever drawling Charles Middleton and uh, he goes to work on the ranch where he sets about romancing Lila Hyams who's the sister who's a Vassar girl who's a Vassar girl and we all know what that means and She's of, well educated. And of course, along the way, there's uh, lots of torture and hijinks, and it ends with a crazy posse sequence. There, this movie's a lot of fun. This is, a, you know, unexpected fish out of water western with a lot of fish. Speaking of fish, the next film, Men of the North, which was the uh, How Roach movie that George was mentioning earlier, is kind of terrific. And to me, and George, you can tell me if I'm crazy. I think this inspired the Klondike Cat cartoons. Well, I would have no way of knowing that. But I could see how you would come to that conclusion. Because the character that Gilbert Rowland plays is so savoir faire. Savoir faire is everywhere. You know? I mean, come on. Hal Roach, you can definitely see his very uh, kinetic influence on this film because, again, this is not a movie that became a cliche, really. I mean, like, when we talk about a cartoon, that's the only way to describe it. And this was a film that you really couldn't see at all for the last 90 years. I mean, or 89 years. It just has been buried. And it's really fascinating to see. uh, I don't know what the circumstances 
circumstances were that led Hal Roach to put on his directing hat because he was yeah. usually a producer. But he did direct a lot of his own films at the Hal Roach Studios. Right. But MGM was his distributor. And I have to say that he probably, you know, called up L.B. Mary and said, I'd like to direct a movie if you ever have, you know, a need or something like that. Yeah. It might have been as simple as that. I'm purely theorizing if anybody out there knows the real story, and there might be somebody, uh, let us know. And if you're expecting a Hal Roach comedy, you you're will, not going to get you it. You know, this is, no. a, this is an action-adventure romance that it's, does have the great camera work that he perfected what, at Hal Roach Studios. It's but, pulpy. But it's very pulpy. There's, there's a mysterious bandit called the Fox robbing gold shipments, and a, a steadfast Mountie is sent to apprehend him, and meanwhile, the owner of the gold mine shows up with his daughter who falls for a local trapper who's the Gilbert Rowland character who is secretly the fox, no spoiler. And he has a girlfriend. And he has a girlfriend played by Nina Cotero who's very jealous, and from there... Weather. Weather and allegiances are strained and oh, yeah. honor is tested. It's and funny that you dogs. say that because at the time, and we've talked about this before because of things we've released, they would film multiple language versions right. of the stories because they hadn't perfected dubbing uh, yet, and the French language version, which unfortunately does not survive any longer, was called Monsieur Le Fox. That tells you everything you really need to know about these movies, but they're all worth owning, and we hope that you'll go to the Warner Archive retailer of your choice online and pick them up. Now, we also want to talk very briefly about titles that are back in print. We have a back in print on Blu-ray, which is a really big deal because a seminal film, which we talked about very recently because it just came back in print back on, on DVD. DVD yeah. Now it's on Blu-ray, and it's actually a three-disc set, a Blu-ray with the feature film and two DVDs with all the supplementary material, but it is The Jazz Singer starring Al Jolson, the film that revolutionized movies to become talking pictures. And this is basically a silent film that has synchronized songs and a couple of lines of improvised dialogue that showed, hey, you could have dialogue yep. and singing in a movie, and that eventually led to the true talking picture. This is often referred to as the first talkie, but that is yeah. not really the exact case. It's the first feature film with synchronized dialogue and singing sequences from a major studio and it uh, was popular. Was very very <laughs> popular and uh, again the amount of supplementary material here is amazing and if you don't already own this now it's back in print and you can get it. Also back in print is something from television that had a very brief run based on the work of writer R.L. Stein. This is Nightmare Room and it was a brief television series and a few episodes are on each of the DVDs that we've released that we're bringing back to print on DVD, I should say, for accuracy. They were available a long time ago and have been hard to find, so we bring them back. Scare for What You Wish For, 2001, and Camp Nowhere, 2002. And there are extra features on these DVDs, and they are a lot of fun. It's nostalgia if you're 30 years old. Now, we also want to talk about the 10 years of Warner Archive. We want to talk about James Cagney. Very briefly, James Cagney was one of the key cogs in making Warner Brothers the studio it became and many of his films are available from the Warner Archive on DVD. There are films like Devil Dogs of the Air or oh, Here yeah. Comes the Navy or Boy Meets Girl and uh, Taxi with Loretta Young Taxi's great. And then there's Blonde Crazy with Joan Blondell which is really terrific. I think we probably have at least a dozen of his films. Oh more. More. I, know. I think so. Because I'm not thinking 
thinking about the titles that were out in retail sets. No, no, I just... We brought those back. Yeah, but between the stuff that we put out on Forbidden Hollywood and the Cagney headline movies, it's more. Virtually his entire Warner Brothers filmography is available with the exception of one title that's tied up in legal issues and other films in which he had very small parts, not leading roles. But we've made a lot of his films available and you really get to oversee his career by traveling through the Warner Archive. And on Blu-ray, we have a pair of films that really underscore his incredible talent. His range. Uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy and Love Me or Leave Me. And Yankee Doodle Dandy is the film that won him the Best Actor Oscar. And Love Me or Leave Me is the film that got him a Best Actor Oscar nomination. And uh, they really are very different kinds of films. But uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy is one of our best-selling Blu-rays and one of the great films in the history of the studio. And we can't recommend it highly enough. And, of course, we were talking about Doris Day before. Doris Day and Cagney had starred in the West Point story at Warner Brothers in 1950. So when she left Warner Brothers, and went to MGM to star as Ruth Edding in Love Me or Leave Me. She wanted Jimmy Cagney as her leading man. And since her husband was co-producing the movie, they made it happen. And it was great for everyone. So we recommend you look for Cagney in the Warner Archive collection. And speaking of the Warner Archive collection, if you want your movies digitally, please go to iTunes and go to click on Classics and uh, go to the Warner Archive room on iTunes where you will find hundreds of films, television programs, over 300 Warner Archive podcasts, and soundtracks from our sister company, Water Tower Music. And it really spans decades worth of entertainment. And you can download to rent or own movies, a lot of them in HD that haven't made it to Blu-ray yet. But it's a wonderful place to browse and try the movies that you may want to own someday, or you may want to make an impulse purchase and download. It's just a great place to study movies and learn about everything that's in our library. So that's the Warner Archive room on iTunes. Go to iTunes.com backslash Warner Archive. And at this point in the podcast, we usually have a letter from consumers where we answer your questions on the podcast air, but alas, we don't have any. But we would like to get some new ones from you, and if you'd like to send them, where can they be sent to? Matthew? Please send your missives to Warner Archive Podcast, 3400 Riverside Drive, B160-4, Burbank, California, 91522. It's not too late to send a birthday card. No. So that wraps up this Warner Archive Collection podcast, but fear not, we'll be back with another one very, very soon. So until that time, I'm George Feltenstein. I'm Matt Patterson. Man, that broad is 10 miles of bad road. Thanks for listening and look forward to the next Warner Archive podcast.